Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. What's going on? Welcome to Canal and Bell. Danny Canal and Rajon Bell with you on this Friday. I am in New York City. Thankfully, we don't have Skype, Raj, so we should be good with our connection. Like, I think I actually got makeup on today for today's show. Like, that's what I'm putting into this one up here in New York City. Can you tell? Do I look like 10 years younger? Let's see. Uh, yeah, bro. Hey, it's good luck. I, I can't. Like, do you buy your own makeup? Does your wife buy your makeup? How do you, do you go sit at a counter? I had, there actually was a makeup artist up here who took like, oh. takes like 10, 15 minutes to make me look this good. So yeah, so I had that advantage <laughs> when I'm in New York City. I'm going to take advantage of it. The other thing I'm noticing, I am doing this from the uh, main CBS headquarters up here uh, on West 57th Street. I'm in a newsroom. It's kind of quiet. Like I feel like I'm yelling and p- people are like trying to do hardcore news, like hitting hard breaking news. So I feel kind of bad. So I might be whispering <laughs> a little bit, uh, but that won't bring back the energy for us. We'll be fine. Uh, we got a massive show. We're going to do our NFL picks uh, a little bit later. Uh, my man, Kirk Cousins MVP campaign continues. We have to hit on that a little bit later. Uh, but first, we, you know, last night, Raj, I went out with my wife. Uh, she's, I brought her to work with me here in New York City. And it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I like having my wife with me. It's fun. But typically my routine when I come up to New York is I get it around 8 o'clock. And then I know I have to get up the next morning early. So I grab something quick to eat. I'm in bed by like 9, 9.30, watching games, go to bed early. But with wifey with me, last night, it's, hey, where are we going? Like, what streets? Where are we going to eat? So yeah. I had a little bit of a longer night than I anticipated. So I'm dragging a little bit this morning. It's all good, man. Hey, sometimes you got to make that sacrifice, brother. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do it for the team. All right, so Taco Fall uh, might be a little bit sore and banged up this morning, but for a totally different reason. The 7-6 center for the Celtics has been ruled out because he's in concussion protocol. You know the reason? Not, not banging his head against the rim or in a game. He actually hit the ceiling after a workout. This is insane. I mean, this dude is so freakishly big. If you see some of the pictures with him next to normal humans, and even when I say normal, like six foot, you know, tall men or women, he looks gigantic. But this kind of speaks to the issues that he has to go through being that tall in our society. What is a perfect, what is the perfect tall height for you where you're like, you know, I'm tall, but I'm not too tall. Like if you had to pick what would be a good number, is six, seven too tall for you? Whatever the height is, so my dad's six eight, and I know he has an issue a lot with door frames, like he has to duck to get in. Right. I would say whatever height is just below that, probably six six is a pretty sweet spot to be in, because then you've got recognizable height. It's good for all sports. It's not too tall to play quarterback. Uh, you can play basketball. It's still good for baseball. Like it's a it's a good tall height is six six. What would you go with? Yeah, I'm like a six seven six eight is where I'd want to be. Obviously, I'm in a like I was in a sport that. You could afford a couple more uh, inches, even though I might have to duck fractionally. I'm not probably, you know, people aren't gawking at me. Do you know what I mean? So I think six seven, probably more than six eight. But for the money, I'll go six eight. 
Yeah, I think we're both doing all right though. Over six four. I think that's a pretty good safe spot. Yeah. Although what my dad wait, was you're six, a, wait, eight, wait, 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 Oh, yeah, we're both over 6'4". I mean, I'm, like, right there pretty much eye-to-eye with you every day. Like, I see you at the office. We were, we're together just because we're not together. I mean, when I get back, we can go we can go back-to-back. Back. We can put us next to each other if you want. I'm confidently over 6'4", especially with shoes on. I'll get some heels if I need them. 6'4", maybe not a lot over 6'4", right, but definitely right, I'm going 6'4", right. next to my name. You, like, slid. <laughs> you, it. like, but I love, we, you just, like, slid that in so casually as if, like, yeah. you're, you know, you're you're listed at 6'3", right? Like, you know that on Football Reference. You're at 6'3". Yeah, but that's messed you up. I explained that to you that. I, ex- I explained that to you, though. They scrunch you down at the combine. They make you shorter. It's late in the day, so you shrink during right. the day. Waking right. up out of bed, no, no shoes, 6'4", all day long. All right. I got you. Let's get to some of the NBA action because we had a really busy night last night. And uh, after the Clippers lose uh, game one, or excuse me, after they win game one, yeah. uh, they lose – um, the Warriors, really the story of this game, how bad they looked. But the uh, Clippers go out, blow out the Warriors. Uh, the first game at the Chase Center, Kawhi Leonard comes up with another monster performance, had 21 points in 21 minutes. Steph, no surprise, led the Warriors. But it wasn't enough to get it done. Steve Kerr and Draymond both upset about it after the game. Listen to what Draymond said about his team's play. Yeah, some good moments offensively, uh, a few. But I'm not a moral victory type of guy. I'm not leaving this game looking for something to build off on. We f- suck, and we gotta get better. I'm not. I'm not a coach, so I'm not about to go watch a film and say, "Oh, well, we can build on this." I really don't give a damn about what we can build on. We suck tonight, and we gotta get better overall. And that's just what it is. All right, so. All right, so there's Draymond talking after the game. You can see he's not happy. He doesn't want any moral victories. Steve Kerr added to it saying, quote, this is not a one-off. This is a reality. There's going to be nights like this this year. We've got to play through it. You've got to keep fighting and keep getting better. That's the plan. I am noticing a trend a little bit early, and it started with Joey the moment the Celtics, you know, looked a little bit rough after one game. He's like, oh, I don't like your pick to win the Eastern Conference. Is it me or are we overreacting a lot this season specifically? We have new guys, new faces, new places, and it seems like everybody's ready to write off the Warriors. They're not making the playoffs. The Clippers are going to win the championship. It just seems off to me. Like, it's just way too early to make any type of decision on a team, including the Warriors. Yeah, I I think um, to be fair to them, like, there's been so much movement and so much anticipation of, like, what these teams are going to look like because on paper it was impossible to tell. Like, the, the league was as wide open as it's ever been. So. Like, naturally, we were waiting to be able to make these hot takes about the team. So you get your first taste of them, um, and you're, you're going to have some kind of reaction to it. Yes, it's a little premature to write anyone off or to pencil anyone in as an NBA champion. I think that we can say, though, through two games that the Clippers are the real deal. Um, and they're doing it without um, uh, Paul George, uh, which is a scary thought. Uh, they, they, they appear to be very real, and that's something I think that they can sustain. As far as Golden State goes, look. The news with Klay Thompson is a tough pill to swallow if you're a Golden State fan or player. Um, it puts you in a really weird spot. The, the, you were always going to be fighting, in my opinion, to be in the latter half of the, the the Western Conference playoffs. So from five down to eight, you were trying to get in. This really jeopardizes that, in my opinion, with Klay being out. They're going to have to play a certain way. And it's going to have to start with defense. And that sounds crazy because I don't know if they have any great, real great other than Draymond Green defensive pieces. 
but allowing teams to shoot 62% from two, which, which the Clippers did last night, and 56% from three, um, that's just never going to get it done. You've lost a lot of scoring punch with, um, with, uh, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson missing. Uh, Draymond, it was interesting to hear him talk because I, I appreciate what he said. Uh, he is really going to have to take a next step, Danny. And it's been really debated over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years about who Draymond Green was as a player, right? Like, his all-star level. Is he a star? Is he a, a glorified role guy? Like, I'm not going to get into what he is or isn't, like, in terms of my opinion. But what I know that he needs to do for this team this year is take a step up in production across the board. He's got to be more of a scorer. Um, he's got to take more of the onus to make plays on himself. And he was living in a space where because you had Clay and you had Steph, um, and then you added, um, Kevin Durant, where he could just be kind of the glue guy that tied it all together. In the absence of those two, he's going to have to take a step forward in terms of being a, an offensive production piece for them night in and night out. And, and, you know, quite frankly, it remains to be seen whether he can do that or not. Uh, if that's the case, I'm saying they don't make the playoffs. I'm hopping on that bandwagon. Would you agree with that? Well, like if Draymond doesn't develop into that position? Yeah, I mean, look, if if they can't get any any real solid, consistent uh, point production from that from him, then yeah, it's gonna be really hard to make the playoffs. And I'm not saying that he can't do it. I'm saying that because there's really no other names on that roster um, other than him, Steph Curry, and D'Angelo Russell. Um, he has to like you've got to have three people producing and the the guys that you have on that bench um no shade at them like everybody was a young NBA player at one point but they're guys you don't even know like you you look at that roster and you don't even know who they are and so you know in years past when those golden state teams were really good they'd come off the bench with Leandro Barbosa they'd come off the bench with Andrew Bogut or Saza Pachulia or uh Sean Livingston or Andre Iguodala or like names that you knew that could come in and produce and play a role. They don't have that now. So, yeah, if he doesn't step up and he's not going to be a real source of consistent points for them, they're going to be really challenged to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. I really believe that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they, how this team adapts and what type of role and how big Steph Curry can step up and Draymond as well in that position. Uh, the other team that was in action last night was the Bucks, uh, the favorites to win the East. Giannis coming back as the MVP did, you know, played up to his MVP caliber form. He had 30, 13, and 11, but he did foul out, uh, with five minutes left in the game. They beat the Rockets by six. Uh, the stat of the game, and this goes back to how important the three is. We were talking about Ben Simmons just being able to take them. Giannis was two for five from three. How important was that to see him? Because if he develops that, it's going to be scary trying to defend him. That's 40%, sir. Uh, you're shooting 40% <laughs> yes. from threes. No, you're shooting 40% from threes in the NBA. You're making money. Um, I don't know that he sustains a 40% clip, but the fact that he will come off of a pick and roll or, or, um, Let's say, you know, they throw it into the high post and there's a split action um, and his man goes under to try to catch him going to the rim. He realizes it and he'll just stop and pop that three. That's what you're looking for, the willingness, like the confidence in the shot. And that speaks to a defender, right? So, like, if I know you're shook and you're not going to shoot it, then I'm going to play games with you. I'm always going to be back daring you to shoot it. I might even be talking some junk to you. If I know that you will shoot it, it makes me creep just an inch closer to you, and that's all you need sometimes if you're a really good uh, player to get by me. So that's really big for them. Um, I do think, and I'll double down on Chris Middleton, kind of like I said about Draymond, and Chris is a really, really good player. He was an all-star last year. He's got to be consistent for them. He didn't play great last night, had 11, hit a big shot. They still won. Uh, but for them to be like 
what I hope they be this year, which is like the the unrivaled favorite in the Eastern Conference. He's got to take that step into consistent, consistent like Robin status to uh, to Giannis's Batman. So when you look at the other side of this, Rockets not able to close that gap at the end when Giannis does foul out. Really important that the Bucks held them off. But where we talked about the Warriors, hey, you know, this could be a play- playoff border team. It's a different discussion because the talent just isn't there with Clay being out. The Rockets, on the other hand, have the talent. For me, that's why I'm not ready to panic on them. As Russ did take the forefront, the bulk of the scoring load that game when James Harden took a back seat. But this is going to be a process, Raj. Don't you think with Mike D'Antoni figuring out these pieces, how they actually work together on the floor at the same time? Yeah, I think Mike, um, if I was watching the game last night, um, the one thing that he's probably preached to them is we can cure any kind of um, chemistry issues on the offensive end by getting out and pushing the rock and getting in transition. And so you saw early Russell Westbrook just flying up the court and like, making a full-on assault at the rim and then at the last minute finding someone in the corner from the for a jump shot that cures some of it because you're you know you're just getting easy shots in transition it will be a tinkering process for Mike D'Antoni and, and staff in the half court you know trying to figure out how you're putting Russ and integrating him into what was already a really good you know offense for, for James Harden I'm not really worried about them I think that they will figure that out I'm not really uh too concerned with the loss there are not going to be many games where James Harden um, doesn't score the ball um, effectively. He didn't do it last night. I, you'd be naive to think that James Harden just all of a sudden can't score the basketball. That's going to happen. Uh, but, yes, in the half court, they're going to have to figure out exactly, you know, what they need to do to complement each other and how they need to play. But if there's anyone in the NBA from a coaching perspective that can kind of get that together, there are a few names, but Mike D'Antoni's at the top of the list. Yeah, I thought, Raj, I thought one of the interesting things to – that'll be interesting to keep an eye on going forward the rest of the year, or at least, you know, the rest of this with, with Harden and Giannis. Um, Giannis, Danny mentioned, fouled out. Harden had four fouls in the first half for the second time in his career. Three of them were offensive. He picked up another offensive foul in the fourth quarter. Um, And that's part of the brilliance of him as an offensive player is his ability to draw contact and use his body and use his arms and get separation from players. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. You don't see the number one in MVP and number two in MVP almost fouling out in the same game in the NBA if there's a shift in the thought process from reps about how they're calling star players, and in particular James, because if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm sending all those calls to the league and saying, what's the deal here? Because this is our guy, and this is what he does. And that was a bit, he was so frustrated in the second half. You could see it. There was a, Roger, you know the term no man's land from three-point line to three-point line, where if you get caught in that spot, Harden gave up the ball in no man's land to Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers chucked up a three. Then he stayed in no man's land, and the Bucks got a bucket in transition, and he went out of the game, and that's when the Bucks came back and took the lead. So he could, you could tell the foul calls were frustrating him last night. Yeah. Um, so you, every we talked about it with NFL refs when they came into this year. Um with the pass interference or lack thereof calls and kind of the, uh, you know, the, the protecting the quarterback and the initiative that the refs have to kind of put an emphasis on, on one rule, try to kind of curtail behavior, if you will, or style of play. It happens in the NBA too, where they have points of emphasis. They come in, they, they will show each team a video. Um, we'll all be sitting in our locker room and there'll be a representative from the referees and he'll say, well, we're going to look at this play, this play and this play this year. And we're instructed to call them like this. And if you have any questions, 
you're allowed to ask the refs and they've got to clarify it for you. So it's clear through a preseason or so now that some of those, you know, gray areas that James Harden was living in offensively, there's a point of emphasis one way or another on them. Um, James doesn't seem to be getting the benefit of the doubt. The brilliance of James Harden has been he's always been able to kind of adjust to whatever, you know, the the call is and figure out how to take advantage of it. And so that will be the challenge for him this year, Joe. I, I don't know, um, you know, exactly what the MVA point of emphasis is this year in, in terms of offensive fouls. I would imagine, because I've seen it called a few times, that play where you're on offense and you're in transition and you're going to take the ball over top of a defender that's going in front of you and then give him the chicken wing to kind of keep his momentum going by and then you lay to the rim. That's clearly one of the ones that they've chosen to call a lot this year. I've seen a few guys that are surprised by the call Kawhi against the Lakers. Um, it's a really valuable move that they've been teaching for a while, but if that's a point of emphasis for the refs, then you've got to kind of figure out how to navigate that. And then to your point about calling the league, it will only be a point of emphasis for so long because if you've got James Harden sitting down, if Giannis is going to be sitting down, you let Kawhi sit down on a national TV game, Lord forbid LeBron has to sit down on a national TV game, there are going to be some some calls made and they will the rest will be told to scale that back a little bit. Roz, when you have those meetings with officials with the NBA, I, I know what I want to, I'm curious to know what the reaction to the conversation was like when they're trying to implement new rules that players don't like. I can yeah. specifically remember when there were rules like and it was targeting, helmet to helmet, pass interference. And they were changes, and players didn't like them, where they would boo the refs in those meetings. Like, it was kind of like Showtime at the Apollo. You know when they get booed off the stage and the crowd yeah. comes and takes them off? It would get that loud in the room. And guys would be like, no way, we can't play like that. And the officials kind of go, well, we're just doing our job. Was it that way, or was it more of a conversation, or the guys get animated, or what kind of conversations were those like? Well, we get animated. We didn't have as many players, so they, like you couldn't have like a chorus of boos. There'd only be like you know, <laughs> yeah. fifteen players and some coaches in the room. Uh, but it would get animated, and you know, especially when I think one year there was the block charge thing, or you know, yeah, it was a block charge, and player had to actually physically go through an opponent to get to to the the offensive foul, and I was the actual example of it. So that really sucked. I didn't appreciate that. And the room got kind of rowdy on that. But it does get spirited, the debate that you're allowed to have with the refs regarding that, right? Because I always maintain that, like, you know, if I'm a defensive player in defensive position, um, how can you as a ref subjectively say, you know, how much force I can withstand before I have to give ground? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a weird conversation, but you really do get into some interesting debates with the refs uh, uh, centered around these rules that they're trying to change. And the, the smarter players in the room would always be paying very close attention and trying to figure out, hey, yeah. where can I still find a loophole? You know, because that is when you're supposed to learn. That is when you can have a conversation with the refs. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. You ready for this? Yeah. If it's the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. 
Welcome back to Kinnell and Bell on this Friday. Danny Kinnell and Raja Bell with you. Uh, we were just talking about the NBA. I told you I was going to give a big prediction, Raja, uh, about who's going to be the MVP. Are you ready for it? I think we all know. I don't know that there's a lot of suspense here, but go ahead. Drum roll, please. It's Kawhi Leonard. I was going to go Kawhi. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I don't want, you know why I want to go Kirk Cousins MVP just yet? First of all, it's too early. He still has to prove it to me. Uh, the other thing, I don't want to jinx it, man. I got 10 grand riding on this sucker. Like if this hits, we are going to have a party like we haven't seen yet uh, on Canel and Bell. We'll get the whole crew. We'll maybe we'll go to Prime 112 down at South Beach. We're, we're going to splurge if that happens. So I don't want to jinx it, but All all that being said, he is putting up MVP caliber numbers after an atrocious start. He was getting hammered. You know, his own teammates are calling out the offense. It looks like, oh, my gosh, the Vikings might have made a mistake paying him $84 million. And what a bust. And this is awful. To where we are now, after the October that he's had, uh, it's been insane. 78% of his passes, 1,262 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception, and a 137-1 passer rating. And the stats don't even really do it justice. It has been close to flawless play from Kirk Cousins. Are you buying into the MVP hype just yet? No. Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater's got similar numbers in a nine to two interception to touchdown ratio. Like, I, and he's five and zero oh in the last. Like, so, like, no. I mean, I, I'm glad he's playing better. Like for Kirk Cousins, I, I still maintain that if you want to make the ten racks. Like you need to be trashing Kirk Cousins because I think he operates better in that doubted like me against the world space. And I appreciate a guy coming out when his back's against the wall and delivering. So, you know, good for him. He he's playing he's playing great, Danny. Um, you know, but I think there's you know, there's a correlation between, you know, Stefan Diggs um coming back to form and, and getting the ball and him figuring out or the offensive coordinator figuring out that they gotta get him the ball a little bit. Um and he's got playmakers like Dalvin Cook. All of that helps him be good. And I'm not taking anything away from him because of that. I will just say, like I always do about Kirk. First of all, you played Washington, the Redskins last night. So it doesn't really qualify as a primetime game for me. I know it was a Thursday night, but you were playing the Redskins um, and their quarterback situation and their coaching situation. Do it in a game that matters. It doesn't even need to be primetime for me. But it needs to be a big game, um, like division uh, uh, um, consequences, like you know, conference standings on the line, like pressure packed. If he delivers in those situations, then you know what? I'll stamp your MVP if the numbers stay consistent. Right now, I'm just happy that he's playing well. I'm happy for him and the and the Vikings. Here's what I hate about your argument. Okay. You're right. Like, you really are. <laughs> he he really hasn't done – no, he has like, – and this has been something that people are very willing to remind me of. We've seen this story before. We've seen Kirk Cousins – put up massive numbers against subpar competition. I know, you know, the Eagles are a pretty good team. They were 500 when they played them. Uh, the Redskins are not a very good team. And, you know, he didn't have many touchdowns last night, but it was still close to flawless. Kirk Cousins is good at this. Like, that's why that's why the Vikings paid him $84 million. He's always been statistically one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. You are right. For him to make the case for MVP or for me to ever be proved right that I think he, what he could mean to Minnesota and he could bring them a Super Bowl – he has to do it against the Bears, against, uh, you know, uh, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. He needs to outplay opponents when they're an underdog, you know, and they, yeah. who knows? Maybe they'll be favorites in a majority of their games, but there is going to be a game where Kirk Cousins has to win it, where Dalvin Cook is shut down, who, by the way, in his own right, has had his own little MVP run, but he plays the wrong position. When that happens and Kirk Cousins needs, you know, a comeback or a touchdown winning drive in the fourth quarter, 
that's where he needs to step up. And then that's when everyone will start taking notice of the MVP uh, conversation if it uh, comes to that. The Patriots, I want to tell you something about the Patriots, Raja, and I know this might sound like a hot take. They're a little bit overrated right now. You know, as far as they're being discussed as the best defense of all time. And historically, they've been one of the best defenses of all time historically. But their schedule, which was the 32nd uh, ranked schedule as far as toughness, the easiest schedule in the NFL coming into the season, which only got easier since the Dolphins decided to tank and Sam Darnold got hurt for the Jets. Like, it got easier from there. Their numbers are a little bit misleading. And then if you look at the quarterbacks, they've slowed down. It's not exactly a gauntlet. Ben Roethlisberger, yes, I'll give you that. They held him to three points at the beginning of the season. Then it's Josh Rosen, Luke Falk, Josh Allen, Colt McCoy, Daniel Jones, and Sam Darnold uh, for the uh, the Patriots opposing quarterbacks. So I just want to kind of get that out there. The other story of this is Tom Brady has not looked the same, I would say. Like, he's... He's played, even at 40, 41, he's still played at an MVP level. He's not playing at an MVP level this season. And I think that's one of the reasons he is starting to be more okay and more open to talking about. And you can sense a little bit more of a, an openness to say, hey, this could be it. When it went on uh, WEI yesterday and said, for me, talking about this season, it's been good because I'm just taking it day to day and I'm enjoying what I have. I don't know what the future holds. And the great part is for me, football at this point is all borrowed time. Uh, You have not heard him even hint at retirement. I think 20 is a very nice round number. I think combine that with he can see it's starting to climb. I think this might be it for Tom Brady. Yeah, I know. You've been on this train for a while. Um, And I'm look, I think he's got a great perspective on it. At this point, um, Coming from where you came from, as Tom Brady, like, you know, sitting behind Drew Bledsoe, not knowing what that was going to look like. I don't know. What was he, a fourth-round pick? I mean, everything you've gotten to this point, and you're in year 20, it's all got to feel like just icing on the cake right now, right? So you do play it, you know, day by day, man. Like, let's say this this year goes off without a hitch, Danny. You win a Super Bowl. You're still feeling good. You don't get banged up. I don't know. Maybe I roll it back if I'm still having fun. I, I suffer some kind of injury that requires like a major rehab or something like that. I'm in my 20th year. Is it worth it at that point? I don't know. But keeping, you know, keeping the perspective of, hey, look, this is all just one day at a time. I'm enjoying myself. I'm on borrowed time in terms of a football player right now. Like that, that's a great way to look at it and just play it by ear, right? Like in the team's success or lack thereof and your health or lack thereof can play a major factor in what your decision becomes at the end of the day. But I kind of like the way he's playing it. Uh, you know what's crazy about this Patriots team? As good as they are, 7-0, and right? Um, they still feel like they can get better, which is why they've been aggressive trading for Mohamed Sanu from the Falcons the other day. We talked about that. And then yesterday it comes across they traded Michael Bennett to the Cowboys in return for a 2021 seventh-round pick. It's just these subtle moves that Belichick makes that, hey, he can discard a veteran, kind of get something in return for him. Probably hasn't worked out the way that Michael Bennett or the Patriots would have like to see an unfold so they're like hey our defense is playing great he's not a key piece of that uh of the, the the key to our success so they go ahead and make the move a lot of teams would be almost tentative if you're seven and oh they say hey we don't want to mess anything up we don't we don't want to take that risk and they're willing to go out there and say nope we're going to make those changes we're going to get even better as the trade deadline uh comes down winds down today at 4 p.m they're one of the teams out there making more moves than anybody. And I think it's a credit to their success, and it's a reason why they've had so much success. Yeah, it's always a hard thing to 
be winning and almost be, you know, have a perfect record and everybody crowning you and to really be able to sit there and self-assess and, and realize that their flaws in who you are as a team and have the, you know, the, 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 the willingness to go out there and address those, right? To your point, to tinker with something that most people would say isn't broken. Um, that's a hard thing. A lot of people in that space, a lot of less fortunate, less storied franchises, uh, would be scared to do that. Like, we're going to stand pat. Like, we, we don't do it. But the, the Patriots, that's why they're so good. Like, they have an ability to say, Hey, look, yeah, this is great. We're sitting here at six and oh. Sure. We're the only team ever in NFL history to make a quarterback see ghost and, and for him to say it on live TV. But we still have got things we need to work on. Um, and there are needs that we need to address and they go out there and do that. And that's why they are, you know, that's why they're the gold standard. Yep, absolutely. They got an interesting game with the uh, Cleveland Browns that I want to break down in just a little bit. We got our picks for that one. But the other news out of the NFL was Nick Foles for the Jacksonville Jaguars returning to practice this week. Could be back by week 11, not that far away. You know what I think the Jags should do? I think they should try to trade him. I think they should try to trade Nick Foles. He's an expense. You did the two-year deal, so it's manageable. They could keep him and Gardner Minshew together on the same roster and still play Minshew and have Foles as a backup. But I think other teams that if you find them a position where they need a quarterback and, you know, if it, if that situation arises, I would trade him in a heartbeat because, you know, the one kind of formula that has worked for a lot of teams really well, the Cowboys, an example, early in the Seahawks with Russell Wilson when they drafted him in the third round. If you can find a quarterback that you don't have to pay because you didn't have to draft him in the first, second or third round. And so he's really cheap, but you find out he's pretty good. You can spend that money everywhere else on the roster and find a window to make a run. And that's what I think Jacksonville should do. That's what I think the Carolina Panthers should do. I think they should try to trade Cam Newton, move him while they can get something in return for him. And these quarterbacks, these young ones, whether it's Gardner Minshew or it's Kyle Allen, they've shown adequate. Like they can go out there and win you some games and they're still babies. They haven't played much. I think the Jaguars and the Panthers should be in the same boat trying to move on from their starters who you know, I've been pretty good. We don't know what Nick Foles is really going to be yet, but I don't think their record is that much different if Nick Foles is the starter as opposed to Gardner Minshew. Um, I could see where you're coming from. Like, I'm not mad at at the take. I feel I don't know why that Nick Foles, because of the circumstances and the fact that there was no real like um case to be made that Nick Foles wasn't the guy. He didn't even have an opportunity this year. Like, it wasn't like they had a poor record uh, before he went down. I think if I were them, I'd want to see. Like We know that Gardner Minshew is a good story, and we've got that under control for a little while. What if I plug Nick Foles back in there and we become like a really relevant playoff type of team with like Super Bowl? I'm just saying hypothetically, right? Like I don't know how much better we could be with Nick Foles. I would want to know that if I was Jacksonville. And that's not giving up on Gardner. Like Maybe that's just in the short term this year. Let me make this – let me make this assessment on what our offense and our team looks like with Nick Foles. We know what it looks like with Gardner. Um, and if it's not, then we'd move on from from Nick Foles, and we've got this cheap quarterback in Gardner Minshew. And, again, we know what that, that looks like. Um, I, I kind of agree with you in Carolina. I've been on record as saying that. I, I, you know, I think that's one of those situations where you really have to – you know, you got to be honest with yourself. There's got there's got to be that Patriots conversation, like that self-evaluation. Like, look, let's be real. Where are we right now as a franchise? What did it look like before? Yeah, I know Cam was Cam back then, but is he ever going to be Cam again? They have those answers. I don't. They see him out there moving around. I don't. I do think it's interesting, though, um, that the one situation we're not really talking about is is the one that's transpiring down in New Orleans, like with Teddy Bridgewater, who's 5-0, and mm-hmm. and – 
Drew Brees, and maybe it's because he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, he's coming back off of an injury, and we're not having any conversations like nationally about whether or not there can be a case made to ride a hot hand. Not saying that Teddy is a better quarterback than 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 Drew Brees, but is there a case to be made for riding a hot hand? If Drew Brees wasn't a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer with the Super Bowl under his belt, you absolutely would be having that conversation. You'd be crazy not to. I think the relationship he has with Sean Payton and the trust that, hey, he's going to be fine, he's going to be okay, is why we're not having that one. i tell you where it comes into play for the future, for Teddy Bridgewater. Like I, I think it's a lot easier for the Saints to say, you know what, Drew, it's been a nice run, but our, our plan is right here. Like This would be a perfect time for you to retire. I think it makes that conversation a lot easier, which is why I think Drew Brees wants to come back so bad, you know, even before the bye week. I think he wants to make sure that that conversation gets put to bed as soon as possible. But I think you're onto something. I think you are. You know, Teddy Bridgewater has been fantastic, but I think it's more for the future uh, as opposed to, you know, saying, hey, we're just going to keep you out there for the rest of the season. Uh, they want to make sure that Drew Brees gets that last run for sure. Joey, what you got for us on Kirk Cousins? Do you win on the MVP train? Well, so this is actually probably for all these guys we're talking about. It's a stat-related question because, Danny, you're our QB, and we talk about all these quarterbacks. Do you understand how – passer rating works and how it gets calculated because I want to bring up something about Kirk Cousins passer rating that I saw this morning that's fascinating. I have zero clue whatsoever. I never knew as a player. I don't know as an analyst. I have no idea what the algorithm goes into it and I know what stat you're referencing and I have no clue. Yeah, so he enter- so he entered the game last night with the league leading passer rating at 114.3. And then his passer rating in last night's game was 112.3. And now his season passer rating is 115.2. So he had a 112 passer rating and it went up. How does that work? (laughs) No idea. Unless there's something in there where, because, you know, his percentage was so high and it took a jump overall in the season or his yards per attempt. Somewhere in there, that was funky. I don't know. Because, I mean, I'm... I help my daughters with math all the time. They're in fifth and fourth grade, you know, and I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit far behind, but that one is one I can't explain. Anytime you try to figure out an average, if you have a lower number, it's going to drag it down. I, I do not understand how that works for the life of me. We'll have to check with our uh, research department, see if they can figure that one out. Welcome back to Pinnell and Bell as we take a look around the NFL schedule this weekend, give you some of our picks. Uh, let's start with that Browns-Patriots game. It's in Foxborough. I got some numbers for you, Raja. Uh, Bill Belichick is 20 and 0 versus first and second year quarterbacks in the last 20 meetings. Uh, he's 28 and 0 at home in Foxborough versus quarterbacks under 24 years old. It doesn't look like the Browns have much of a chance as a 12 and a half point dog. And yet I kind of like them in this spot. It's just, they had the extra time to prepare. So they had the bye week. And I will say this. I missed the Browns last week. Like, I love watching them play. Whether it's great or whether it's bad, it usually gives us a lot of content in yep. this business. I missed watching them play last year, uh, last week. But that being said, the extra week I'm hoping will give this team extra time to prepare for Freddie Kitchens to design a game plan, to get the ball to Nick Chubb more, to get Odell Beckham, Beckham involved more in the offense, and to calm Baker Mayfield down and hopefully preach to him all week long, stop turning the ball over. And if he does that, I give this Browns team a puncher's chance where I think they can keep it a fourth quarter game, which would put them in a position to cover the spread, which is 12 and a half. Um, I'll ride with you on that. I think they cover. I, I, you, make, right. you, make a, you make a good argument. I just, look, Baker leads the league in interceptions. The Patriots lead the league in turning other teams over in terms of interceptions. That's a terrible combination. 
You're going to be at Foxborough. Um, I could see a case for them keeping it closer than the spread. I, I ultimately, I don't think they really win it. And that's not even really, you know, any disrespect at the Browns. Uh, I think the Patriots are that good. So I'll take the Browns and the points. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the Browns are that team that does have the talent. They just need to pull it all together. And I think the Patriots are slightly overrated. It's not a knock, not a hot take. I just think they're not as good as everybody's making them out to be. They really haven't been tested by a skill group like Jarvis Landry, Beckham, uh, and Chubb in the backfield. So it'll be interesting to see that game. Uh, another team with their backs against the wall uh, is the Philadelphia Eagles. They lose to the Cowboys after Peterson says, hey, we're going to win. He guarantees the victory. Then you hear uh, anonymous sources saying that Carson Wentz, maybe his leadership skill is lacking and the players miss Nick Foles. Uh, there's a lot of just issues going around that Philadelphia Eagles uh, locker room. I think this is a must win for them, even though they still have Dallas back into the season at home. They could still win their division. But you talk about from a team that looks like it's crumbling apart. I, I feel like this is a seminal moment for Carson Wentz where he has to get up in front of that room at some point, maybe a players only meeting, maybe it's the team meeting the Friday night or Saturday night before the game. You get up in front of the team and you say, Hey, we have to turn this thing around. If anybody has an issue with me, come talk to me, but we can't afford to have anonymous sources throwing players under the bus and kind of give the team a little bit of a butt chewing up there. I don't know if it's in his personality. So I don't think he has to do something fake and scream and yell, but I think he has to have a talk with this team. And I do feel like they are primed to go into Buffalo if they get that from him. And he's their $100 million quarterback that they can go into Buffalo and turn it around, which nobody's given them a chance for because Buffalo's a one-loss team that's played really well. But I kind of like the Eagles in this spot getting a point and a half in Buffalo. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go with you too. I, I'm just going to – like you could speak more to what that team needs from its quarterback than I ever could. Um, I'm going to go just with general like sports since I was a kid. When you have a team that, that feels like – they could be a championship team, but they've underperformed and their back is completely against the wall, which the Eagles are right now. Typically, it means more to them than the five and one Bills. Um, plus, I don't really trust Josh Allen, like for some reason. Like, I, I don't know why. He's been fine, but he hasn't been great. I'm going to take the Eagles too. I think they come out and they respond. I love it. All right. The other bit of news around the NFL is this conversation that Patrick Mahomes might actually play. Uh, you know, he goes from gimpy out there struggling to make handoffs. I don't know if you saw any of the uh, video yesterday that came out of him at practice. He was a little bit more jumping around, a little bit more energetic. Apparently, he took reps with the second team. I still can't envision any scenario where he is under center taking snaps during the game for the Kansas City Chiefs at this point in his career with you know with the injury that he had I would be shocked that being said the number is still only at three and a half maybe four wherever you can find it I like the I'm a big fan of the underdogs this weekend in case you can't tell I like the Chiefs playing at home rallying around Matt Moore not so much uh behind Patrick Mahomes but getting it done with those skill positions I think Andy Reid he's 11 and 5 um as a head coach with a backup playing he's a former quarterback he has a way of getting his quarterbacks ready to play whether they're starter or the backup I kind of like the Chiefs here at home against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers with the number. That's um. So like the Chiefs. All right. Uh, I don't have a feel for this one, dude, because I don't know. I have a completely different. If, if the Chiefs, if if Pat Mahomes plays, they win. If Pat Mahomes doesn't play, I don't think they win. So do what you will with that. <laughs> all right, there you go. So that's your bet. You can wait. You can wait till the last right. minute. You don't have to place your bet right now at this point in the season. The other game, and you were talking about it, was the Cardinals at the Saints uh, in New Orleans. The the Saints are a ten point. 
uh, favorite in that game. It does look almost as if Drew Brees is going to start that one, and I would just say, why? Like, what is the advantage? What is the upside? Teddy Bridgewater's been spectacular. All that being said, I think whether Teddy plays or whether Drew Brees plays, they'll cover. So that's the one where I would like the, uh, like the home favorite and would lay the 10 points. Yeah, I go with you two on the Saints, and it really doesn't matter who plays there. I would, I would just triple down on Drew, and even for Drew, look, I did say that maybe there could be a case for riding the hot hand, Drew, but you know damn well, just like everybody else does, that it's your job and they're going to give it back to you. Like, take the the week and then take the bye week and then come back and, and make the push at the end of the season. There is no reason to play in this game. All right, last game I wanted to hit on. The Carolina Panthers take the show on the road with Kyle Allen uh, and San Francisco. San Francisco is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Who do you like in this one? This one's a tough one, Danny. Um and I don't have a great feel for it, but I am going to take the 49ers to cover the five and a half. Um, I mean, damn, it's got, the train's got to come off the rails at some point, right? Like it's got to, like, you can't just keep doing that. Can you, if you're Josh Allen? I mean, uh, if you're Kyle Allen? I don't know, but can you keep doing it if you're Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers? That's I mean, why I'm going with the underdog again. That's why I like <laughs> Kyle Allen again. I think the 49ers might win this game by a field goal. I mean, you see that happen all the time in the NFL, evenly matched. I think Christian McCaffrey, you'll see the, uh, the emergence of him. But Kyle Allen's done a pretty good job keeping this team in games in the fourth quarter. I don't think this will be any different. So I'm going to take the uh, the Panthers here, getting the five and a half on the road. Uh, you can fade me if you would like. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell on this Friday as we finish off our show. Uh, in high school football, we know how competitive it is. You and I live in South Florida. It's probably one of the most competitive high school football markets in the country the fanaticism that is showed there's a lot of recruiting there's a lot of transferring guys move around that happens all the time i have never seen this happen and i'm actually surprised it doesn't happen more because football you wear a helmet shoulder pads hard to recognize who uh who is who there's a team in uh st louis uh that was seven and oh on the season having a season rolling along and all of a sudden their entire coaching staff gets fired the entire season is canceled. The football program is shut down because in game one of that season, the team had a player who was suspended. Disciplinary reasons. He's not supposed to play in that game. Turns out the team played him in the game with a different uniform on. Uh, they listed him as a freshman with a name like Merton Banks or something like that. Mm. Some like pseudonym they just came up with in that spot. Uh, Marvin Burks. Is that what it was, Joey? Yeah, Marvin, Marvin Burks. Burks. His name and is Bill Jackson, out- and then they played him as Marvin <laughs> Burks. Yeah, so they came up with this totally fake name, and you know the kicker for it, Raza? You know what busted him? You know how they found out that it wasn't him on film? Or no. that they recognized it was him? His tattoos. His tattoos gave him away because he had them all up and down. He had sleeves on his arms, so they recognized his tattoos mm-hmm. and said, hold on a second, those look a lot like the starters. So... The coach was trying to give an explanation for it, and he was asked about it, and he said, well, hey, you know, my players grab different jerseys all the time. They're always switching. I can't keep track of who's who, so I didn't know it. And they said, well, well how come he was listed under a different name in the, in the program? And he had no explanation for that. So the, the school has, um, has been suspended uh, for the rest of the season. It's a crazy story, but I'm actually I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often or that maybe teams are doing it because football, you can disguise it. Maybe you have a guy who graduates didn't get an offer, but he's a pretty good player. I'm surprised other teams don't do that too. Well, you've seen that before where like basketball players from one state will show up in another state as like a, a, a sophomore or junior. They're like 23 years old. You know what I mean? They, they usually get found out. I would say though that like even though 
we can't see who the players are from the stands. Like the opposing team knows who your best player is and they could see his face in the helmet. Like they're out there playing against him. So like, I don't know how you really thought you were going to get away with that. My other thought is while it's really like there has to be a huge punishment for the people who are at fault, there's probably a, a huge percentage of that team that had nothing to do with that. And it really sucks that they got to lose the entirety of their season, like firing the staff, ruling that kid ineligible, even stripping the wins that they had prior to that. I'm all good with that. But what about like the other seniors on that team that may need the last few games of tape to maybe try to get a scholarship or something? I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't I don't like them shutting the whole thing down, you know? Yeah, that is a tricky situation. Uh, Nick Saban likes to uh, give messages through the media. I think he wants to make sure his team doesn't overlook Arkansas after he was asked about playing to his younger brother in the game. Listen to what ticked off Nick Saban. Will there be an effort to get Talia into the game just to expedite his uh, his progression? No, we're, we're, we're focused on winning the game. All right, so we're, we're going to try to win the game, and we're going to play the best players that we can play to win the game. And we're not assuming that it's going to be an easy game. Uh, and we're not assuming that we'll have opportunity just to play anybody that wants to play, to expedite anything except winning the game. So we're going to play everybody who can expedite winning the game. That's what that's what we're going to do. So I don't think anybody should expect us to do anything else. Fantastic, fantastic. Such, <laughs> such a stupid question. What a stupid question. What do you, what do you mean to further somebody? He had assumed that reporter just has made the assumption already that that is a cakewalk for Alabama. Nothing could go wrong, and you would have the luxury of rolling out any player on your roster that you deem needs a few more extra snaps to further his you know, progression or expedite that. That's such a stupid question. Good for Nick Saban. We've seen uh, other programs who are ranked number one nationally or had national title uh, expectations. We've seen them come up short in games. That were, we just saw it with Wisconsin. They lose to Illinois. We've seen uh, Clemson struggle with Syracuse. Last year, Ohio State struggled with Purdue. The reason Nick Saban has never lost to an unranked team is because of that attitude right there. Like, he is never letting down his guard. He is never going to take a day off. He's never going to let his players relax, which is what you have to do with 18 to 22-year-olds. You can't let them assume, hey, all I have to do is show up. We're three touchdowns, you know, four touchdown favorites. All I have to do is show up because you can't, no matter how good you are, and it's been proven time and time again, you can't just show up. You have to be ready to go, and that's what Nick Saban always has this tie team ready to do, and it's no surprise that this uh, year is any different. It's probably why they're going to roll uh, Arkansas this weekend. Jimmy Butler missed the Heat preseason uh, or season opener uh, for, quote, personal reasons. Do you have any problem that they don't tell you tell the fans why? No. Well, it's not my business. It's <laughs> just personal. It's personal. Like that, It's just right there in the definition of why he missed. It's personal. Yeah, I don't either. I, I guess, you know, you know, the media feels like it's owed to them. And, you know, from a Vegas perspective, I'm sure they would like to know if it's something that could linger for and you. Make, him, make him miss another game. Yeah, exactly. But I'm with you. There are certain things where, you know, hey, we're allowed to take personal days and we don't have to tell anybody at work. You know, most people around the country have jobs. You can do the same thing. You don't have to give an explanation at all times. 
So I'm kind of with you. You don't have to tell anybody. You just needed the night off. And whether it was whatever the reason was, that should be enough to suffice. But I don't think that means the questions are going to go away as the media is going to no. keep badgering him saying, hey, Look, why'd you miss? Why'd you miss? Why'd you miss? We saw that happen not that long ago. Just say no. That happened with uh, Roquan, uh, the kid for the Chicago Bears, said, nope, I don't want to tell you. And it, you know what? No one ever cares you have about the right, it again. You so, have the right to be right. curious. You don't have the right to know. Exactly. All right, man. That's good. Uh, it's a wrap for today's show. Enjoy the weekend, man. We'll be back on Monday to wrap up all the games. We'll see you Monday. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.